Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. There we go. We'll use this for now. Awesome. See, isn't she lovely, folks? Isn't she lovely? I, I would... Absolutely nothing. I wouldn't even be able to tie my shoes without her. So uh, as it pertains to Valentine's Day, here's a meme I got. Again, this is from a pastor's network. But uh, you get a, a new phone or new software on your computer, and before you can download the update, you have to go through all the terms and conditions. And, you know, you get to the bottom. And, and here's what this meme says. Um, let me find it right here. He says, arguing with a woman... It's like reading the software license agreement. In the end, you have to ignore everything and click I agree. <laughs> is that not true? That's so funny. And also, behind every angry woman stands a man who has absolutely no idea what he did wrong. So th- those I got uh, some uh, laughs out of that this morning. But uh, I j- again, I thank you for being here. Happy Valentine's Day to you. And I pray that you feel the love of God in your life. There it is. Amen. I also appreciate Jake. He's he's our uh, lifesaver here at VLC. So thank you so much. And uh, today we are in week six of our series, Sevenfold Focus, as we are talking about the vision that God has for our church, what we believe God is leading us to build and become in this community to help heaven come to earth. And it's such it's been such an exciting thing. We've talked about things about creating a culture and a community of prayer, of uh, the prophetic word, of healing. Uh, and deliverance and worship and it's just been an exciting thing and today we begin to put it all together and really see why the first focuses the first few focuses are more on our in personal relationship with God because now we start to look outside of ourselves and what God wants to do in us so that he can then do something through us and I believe what the spirit of God wants to do in us this word that he laid on my heart is he wants us to equip and train disciples of Jesus in the ministry of Christ through love and his power, creating a culture of signs and wonders that confirm the gospel message. This is going to be something like anything we've ever experienced before. Jesus, at every turn, as he was here doing ministry, he was laying hands on the sick, he was casting out demons, he was, he was doing these w- marvelous things. Why? To confirm the very message that he came to present, which is that the kingdom of God has come. And all who hear the message are invited into it. And this is the mantle. This is the same ministry he has given us, his disciples, as we have been left here to continue on the work. In a nutshell, I believe we are to create a culture in this church that welcomes, cultivates, and releases the presence and power of God into this place and from this place. And that's such an exciting thing. I pray that you've already been able to feel the stir of the Spirit this morning. Such an awesome time of worship. I appreciate our worship team and and everything they do. My wife for preparing and planning and pouring her heart out. It's such an awesome, awesome thing. So today we're going to begin talking about local outreach, focusing on bringing the kingdom of God into our neighborhood, our region. One of my favorite passages on prayer in the Bible is found in the book of Acts, where the early church begins to suffer persecution. Like Jesus, they just kill Jesus, 
Of course, he rises from the dead, transforms like their whole life, and uh, creates a stir. On the day of Pentecost, the, the next Jewish holiday, right after that, the Spirit of God is poured out. They begin to speak in tongues and prophesy, and they're filled with the power of God. Many new believers and converts begin to come to Christ. It, it's this wave of revelation and revival happening in the city of Jerusalem, and the Jewish leaders can't stand it. And so they begin to target and persecute church leaders, these early church leaders, uh, throwing them in jail, beating them, and the whole nine. And so in, by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, some have been released from prison. They're, they're reunited together, and they're scared out of their minds. They're afraid because of this cultural pressure and persecution they're beginning to experience. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, here is what they pray, a, a part of the prayer, as they are rounding off this prayer, that they pray together. What they pray says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power, and may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They got together threats. They were under persecution. They come together and they pray, God, give us great boldness and move in a powerful way. And I believe that God wants to change the culture. But I think many of us right now, it, it, if we've been praying at all, part of that prayer, if we're honest with ourselves, is God, we want you to change the culture, not necessarily because it's right that, that he changed the culture, but because if he changes the culture, then he doesn't have to do anything with me. If God comes in and he just makes abortion illegal, if he comes in and, and just removes the homosexual tendencies from everyone in the nation, if he just comes and does all the things that we look at as being evils in the world and, w and God just magically eradicates all of that, then nothing is required of me to do anything because he does it. And so we pray like this, God, change our leaders, God, change the culture, because what we really want is for God to make the culture not so scary and remove the responsibility we have as his disciples of being the arm of God that changes the culture. We are his arm. We are his hands. We want God to wave the magic wand, but we forget we are the wand in the hand of God. We are the wand. We are the conduit of his power to be released into the culture. God wants to change the culture. He wants to change your family. He wants to change your business, your place of employment. He wants to change your school. He wants to change your neighborhood. He wants to change everything you touch. He wants to shower his goodness all over it, but he wants to do it through you, not in spite of you, through you. Like the early church, after the culture started to oppress and persecute them, they got afraid, they started to hide out. And many believers today, we've been hiding out in the four walls of our religious institutions only to go incognito when we enter the public square. We're praising Jesus in here, but we're hiding from Jesus out there. We hide out of fear of being rejected by people, being singled out, missing out on opportunities, losing friendships. And we may pray for those in our sphere of influence, but out of fear, we dare not preach his name. 
And I dealt with this heavily growing up. I've testified this before, but there was a time when I was younger that I, I, I was sold out for Jesus. I was trying to be super Christian. Where, wherever I was, I was involved in church. I was excited about God. And around my junior, uh, junior high school years, that began to change because I found myself alone without any friends. And that loneliness really began to eat at me. And so I began to compromise my faith in order to be accepted by other people. And soon I found myself compromising over and over and over again, all the way through my sophomore year in high school until one night in the middle of doing something stupid, God spoke a whisper to my heart and he said, what are you doing? This is not what I have for you. And I knew what God was calling me to do. He was calling me to let go of the thing I thought was bringing me happiness to discover the joy he prepared for me in my purpose. And so as hard as it was, Going from no friends to a big group of friends in one night, I went to being alone again. But I wasn't alone because I had the Lord. And I began to walk a path that led me to discover why I was created, what God was wanting me to do. I know he was calling me into the ministry in some form, but I had been running from that call. And now I began to pursue his calling on my life again. Fast forward a few years later, several years later, I'm now married we beginning to have a family and i'm working at a um, warehouse in uh, for o'reilly auto parts and and i start this new job because i, I needed to make more than minimum wage because we had a family we're, we're starting to have a family and so i finally got this opportunity and but i you know decided the same same kind of thing i was like you know what i'm not going to go in here and be like jesus 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 because i don't want to scare anybody away so I'm going to be like ninja Christian. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slide underneath the radar. I'm just going to be the nice guy, make friends, and then hopefully one day the conversation will come up. And so I'm just living my life, being friends. I start being accepted by the guys on my shift, and uh, it was kind of kind of cool. They were all around about my same age, except I was the only married guy. And uh, we began to hit it off and really started to connect over, like, mixed martial arts. Like, the ultimate fighting championship was was like really uh, kind of like exploding in that time. And we, we thought we were tough and cool, so we started our own backyard boxing ring. And, uh, and so uh, we would go over to uh, this guy's house, and he spray-painted a ring in his grass, and we would like box each other. And, and I remember the first weekend we fought, um, I was up against a guy that was six foot four, and uh, I'm five eight on a good day, you know, depending on what kind of shoes I'm wearing. I'm not short, I'm average. Uh, I'll claim that in Jesus' name. But, uh, but his arms were as long as I was tall, and uh, I went to box him, and, and he beat me pretty good. I had a bloody nose, and he hit me on the chin, and I felt like I was going to pass out. It was, it was kind of embarrassing. But uh, the next time we went to his, uh, the house to box again, I, we were up for a rematch. And so I was like, I can't let him punk me out like I did last time. But to make matters worse, he invited his girlfriend to come watch him beat me. And so I was like, okay, I have to try. I really have to, like, give it all, all that I can. And so I changed my, my, uh, my position. Instead of, like, trying to fight him from a distance and, and get one on him, I thought, I'm just going to run at him and, and go for it. And so when it was time to fight, he, he came up, and I just ran up, and I just threw one wild haymaker and hit him right on the jaw. And it popped his jaw, and he quit. And I won. And I was like, yes. And he told me the next day, he said, you know, I was like, well, what did your girlfriend think? And he, and he said something to the effect of, well, she told me, next time you invite me to watch you do something foolish, at least make sure you're going to win. <laughs> you know, 
So th- this was his, like, this was the thing. But I got mad respect that day, and, and our friendship was growing, and they were, you know, everything was cool. Until one day I started working with this guy named Derek. And Derek went to another Christian college in town called Evangel. And, um, and I assumed that since he went to this Christian college, he was a Christian. And so as I was working with him, I decided to ask him, hey, you know, are y- you're a Christian? Like, how long have you been a Christian? And he's like, yeah. And he started telling me uh, uh, some of his story. And, um, and so, you know, and I kind of interjected and let him know I was, you know, still a Christian too. And, and then he started asking me questions. And uh, and about my life, about my family, and around that time, my parents had divorced, and some you know circumstances there. And, and um, from what I was telling him, I guess I wasn't giving him enough information about my testimony. And so he asked me a very targeted question because he was kind of confused. He he looked at me and he said, "So, how long have you known Jesus, or when did you meet Jesus?" And the minute he said Jesus, see, we had used the word Christian. We'd use the word God, but when he said Jesus, something happened in me. I got really nervous. I started kind of looking around and saying, who's, who's listening? Are we going to get in trouble for talking about religion at the workplace? You know, and, and I felt myself in this moment almost instantaneously kind of being a little embarrassed that he would say Jesus. And, and as I'm like feeling this, all of a sudden like this light went off and be like, why am I embarrassed? of the name of the one who saved my soul. Why am, why am I embarrassed? And I began to think about what Jesus said in Mark 8, 38. Here's what he said. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. If you're ashamed of me on earth, when I come back in my glory, I will be ashamed of you. There are no incognito Christians. There's only one kind of Christian that God wants. Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow but look back, you're unworthy to be my disciple. There's only one kind of believer, and that's a believer that's all in. All in. And in this moment, I woke up to the realization I wasn't all in. I was hiding I was still compromising my faith. I was just doing it another way. And in that moment, that shame broke me, and I started wrestling with the Lord, and I said, God, forgive me of being ashamed of the name of Jesus. I said, God, if you give me courage, I promise you I will have a gospel conversation with everybody I work with. If you give me the courage, I will talk about you and make you famous to everyone that I work with. And that next day, I started making good on that promise. In Romans 1.16, it became a life verse. It says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also the Gentile. I came to this verse, and I said, God, this will be me. I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the only way those far from God can come to know God and be saved from their sins. It's the only way. Good deeds are good, but they don't win souls. Good deeds are good to meant to open the door to gospel conversation. And many times we, we do good things, but we never get to the place where we actually share Jesus. And this was 
the, my circumstance. And so the next day I went and I, I was working with a guy and I come to find out he was a Christian too. He was just playing incognito also. And then I, I worked with another guy. And by the end of the week, I'd worked with everyone on my team and I had talked about Jesus with every single one of them. I got a couple of them to come to church with me, probably because I told them I'd take them out to eat afterwards and bribery works. But they came and they got to hear the gospel there. And I got to minister to them in, in just the simplest ways. And I didn't have everything figured out. I didn't know what I was going to say. I was scared out of my mind. I'm thinking, how is this conversation going to go? All I knew is I had to tell them about Jesus. That's all that mattered. And, you know, I never got to lead a single one of them to the Lord. But you know what happened at my place of work? They started having spiritual conversations. And when they couldn't figure out the answer, they would come find me wherever I was and ask me about what does the Bible say. That taught me a very profound lesson. It taught me that boldness opens the door. And if I'm planting seeds, sooner or later, those seeds will be watered. And it will do or have an effect in people's lives. The seeds I was planting began to take an effect, and it was awesome to see. You see, it is the gospel, the good news, only the gospel, the good news of Christ. He came, the Son of God, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins, shed his blood, rose again the third day, and all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's the gospel. It is the open invitation to all who would hear the message, the good news, that if you trust Jesus with your life and give him your heart, he's going to radically transform it. And you will have an eternity in heaven forever and forever and forever. The gospel is the only chance people have to be saved. The scripture says those who believe on the Lord have life. Those who don't believe in the Son of God don't have life, but are already under God's judgment. They're already judged. We can't judge them more than they are now. They're already separated from God. We can't push them any further away from God than they are now. The only hope people have is a gospel conversation. Do you know the Lord? Romans 10, 14 says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless what? Unless someone tells them. You have to tell them. You have to tell them. That's the only chance they have to hear about what can radically transform and save their lives. They have to be told. And the disciples and followers of Jesus have to be the one to tell them. But the problem I had, even after this revelation of the, really the cowardice that was in my, my heart, being associated with the name of Jesus, it was with all my effort to spiritual conversation, I never got the chance to lead them to Jesus. And after I, I left that place of work, I, I, I went to um, a, an insurance company and I started selling insurance and I started the same process there and, and I shared Jesus, but I never got the chance to lead anyone to Jesus. And, and it, I was learning things about my approach and how I was approaching people. You see, I talked about Jesus all the time whenever anyone was around, but the majority conversations I had were about science, philosophy, um, just world religions and, and politics and, and all these things. And that's what I thought were, was going to win them. I, you know, 
they're going to say, well, you know, well, the Bible's not true because X, Y, Z. And if I had the right answer, then that would convince them. And that's what I primarily focused my approach on. When I was a child in 1 Peter 3.15, our churches growing up, they taught us out of this verse, it says, instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And so from a young age, it was always taught, I have to have a response. If someone has a question, I need to know why I believe what I believe. And so what I took was what scholars call an apologetical approach, which means I look at all the arguments people have, I find out the answer, and then whenever they have a question or an argument, I'm able to respond. And that had been my approach. Always be ready. And we had some great conversations. I had some really powerful arguments. Some said, well, I really am going to go home and I'm going to think about that. And I just said, gr- had some great opportunities to talk with people. But just as poor as I was at insurance sales, again, I couldn't, I couldn't, I'm not in insurance today. That should tell you something, folks. If I was, you know, then, then they'll let you know. But I d- didn't do so well. I couldn't land a sale and I couldn't land a conversion. I couldn't do it. And this bothered me so much. I wondered, God, with all my effort, why doesn't anyone want to choose you? With all these conversations, why does it seem like I'm just having these debates all the time, but no one is wanting to choose you? And God taught me some variable, very valuable lessons. The first lesson he told me, number one, is you will never argue anyone into heaven. You are never going to argue anyone into heaven. Titus 3.9 says, don't get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. It's good to know why you believe what you believe, but you will never argue anyone into heaven. And what the Lord was teaching me, especially when it came to debating people and being uh, engaged in these conversations, is there's a difference between a debate and a conversation. A debate is about how more right and smart you are than someone else. A conversation is about leading the heart to be open to the truth. A debate has your pride in mind, but a conversation has the other person's heart in mind. There's a difference between debate and conversation, and I was too busy debating out of my rightness than really being interested in the other people's hearts. I wanted to be known as a great soul winner. I wanted to have all these numbers attached to my name, this scorecard, rather than truly just being a vessel for the love of God to shine through. And that's where some Christians, some believers are today. We're so focused on what is right and what is wrong, we forget about grace. We forget about real people with real hearts, and we miss opportunities to unleash the power of God into someone's life because we've made it more about what we know to be right than God's love for that person. The second thing I learned in this process was that salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit, not our flesh. Not our strength, not our wisdom, not anything we can do in and of ourselves. It's a work of the Spirit. John 6, Jesus tells his disciples, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. How does God draw people to himself? Through? The Holy Spirit. You can't come to God without being drawn. God draws through the Holy Spirit. This is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in John 16, verse 8, 
says when he the holy spirit comes he will convict the world of its sin and god's righteousness and of the coming judgment it's the spirit of god that does the convicting work it's the spirit of god that does the drawing work it's the spirit of god that opens blind eyes and leads people to trust in jesus for their salvation we cannot do in the flesh what can only be done by the spirit we cannot do in our flesh what can only be done by the spirit we have to let god be god Keep in mind, as God is teaching me this, even after I entered the ministry and started this church with my wife. People were getting saved in our services. We'd baptized over 20. The first baptism service we had, it was awesome. We had a, a service on baptism, and we had about 14 uh, people or so, 12 to 14 people scheduled to be baptized that day. And, uh, and we had a great service. We met at the pond. And we gave this opportunity for anyone else to give their life to Jesus, and people just started coming. We got to baptize a whole family that day. It was such an incredible experience to see you know, families like give their lives to Jesus together. It was nothing that we did. God did the work. But when I was out on my own, not just in a church service where the presence of God is easy to access, like we gather together and it's like, oh, there's God, yes. You know, when we're by ourselves, it becomes more of a challenge. And so when I was by myself trying to share Jesus, I still had the same problem. I didn't ever really reach anybody on an individual level. And God began to really just cultivate this understanding as I was trying to live and walk this out, still having no luck. And then the revelation of the Holy Spirit's role in evangelism came to the forefront in my own life when I had an encounter with God and was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I have been a Christian since I was four years old. I was baptized, I think, when I was nine years old. I've been in church more times than I can count. I've been to the youth group. I've been to all these things. I've been participating in all these different ministries. And I look at this time in my life. It was a time where God had to really break me down and get some things out of my life, bring me to a point of full surrender before he could do something dramatic in me. And in this moment, when I encountered the presence of God, I woke up from that place, and I knew I was different. I knew something had shifted in me was different, and my life began to uh, manifest different things. I had an encounter with the Spirit of God, and His presence began to be released in my life. And I didn't understand it fully. I still am learning and still trying to live this thing out. But one thing He showed me is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus, before He ascends into heaven, tells His disciples to wait in Jerusalem. They had already seen the risen Lord. They had already given their lives to Christ. They were already disciples, but they were missing something that they needed to do the work that God intended for them to do. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power. Somebody say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples, you believe, and that's great, but there's something you're missing. You're missing the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. But once you receive that, you will be my witness. You'll be able to testify and demonstrate the very thing that I'm teaching you and showing you in the world. You'll be able to demonstrate that the message of the kingdom of God has come. Before he released them on their mission, they needed to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is poured out in baptism upon followers of Jesus who are 
fully committed and surrendered to this ministry and this mission. We shall receive power and we shall become his witnesses. Without the power of God in your life, everything you do or attempt to do for Christ will be done in your own strength. Everything you try to do will be done in your own strength according to your own flesh. You cannot accomplish in your own strength, in your own flesh, what can only be accomplished by the Spirit of God. You cannot do it. Jesus, before his ministry, was anointed with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Then he went around doing good and freeing all who were oppressed by the devil. God has a calling on all of our lives. We need the power of God to fulfill it. And many of us, we've been trying to do this Christian life in our own power. I know, that was me. I was trying to overcome sin in my own life. I was trying to be faithful in my own life. I was trying not, not to do the things I always ended up doing. I was trying to eat well, you know, I was trying to stay on a diet, but then binge eat garbage, you know, when no one was looking. You know, I was trying to do things in my own strength, and it just wasn't working out for me. Something shifted in me when I encountered the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Many of us are trying to do the same thing. But we'll never find freedom. We'll never find how or have that shift until the presence of God fills us. This is why Paul in Ephesians 5.18, he says, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life, but be filled with what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. That will ruin your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying it's a choice. That there's a choice in the life of every believer. He's saying you will either pursue one or the other. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one and despise the other. And here Paul is telling us in Ephesians 5.18, we'll either pursue the party or our divine purpose. We'll either pursue what the world has to offer and be filled up with all this stuff, or we're going to pursue divine encounter and the promise and purposes of God. We can either be filled with wine, which is intoxicating, or we'll be filled with the Spirit, which is intoxicating with no detrimental effect. But it brings life, and life more abundantly. The filling of the Spirit is initiated in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the game changer to the Christian life that gives you the power to overcome, the power to persevere, the power to be a witness for Christ. And what is a witness? A witness is someone who simply testifies about what they've seen and what they've heard. In a court of law, when a witness is called, what do they do? They testify about what they've seen and what they've heard. And we've been called as disciples of Christ to be the witnesses of Jesus. To be the witnesses for Jesus. To testify, not just in word, but also in deed, about what God has done in our lives. The power to pray for healing comes through the Holy Spirit. The power to receive a prophetic word comes through the Holy Spirit. The power to cast out devils comes through the Holy Spirit. The power to have intimacy with God like we desire comes through the agent of the Holy Spirit. Without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we won't even be able to preach the full gospel. In Romans 15, 18, and 19, Paul, writing to the church of Rome, he says, I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by what? By the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I've fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Paul says, there's the message, but there's also the demonstration. 
There are the words, but there are also the deeds. James says faith without works is dead, right? It's not just talking a good game. It's living and demonstrating it in your life. And here Paul says, through preaching the word and the performing of signs and wonders through the power of God's spirit, the entire gospel has been preached. And Jesus, before he ascended into heaven in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, he said, go and preach the gospel, not go and preach a half gospel. Go and preach the full gospel. Don't just say it, live it, demonstrate it, be it, be the gospel in your life. And there are many people, many churches settling for a half gospel. They declare the word, but there's no faith or filling of the Holy Spirit. There's no life emanating of Christ bubbling up from the spring of life that's supposed to be in them. There's no flame or fuel that says, God, I yearn for you. Give me more because when I taste and see, I discover the Lord is good. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul to the church of Thessalonica, he says, for when we brought you the good news, that's the gospel, it was not only with words, but also with what? With power. For the Holy Spirit gave you what? Full assurance. I didn't just talk a good game. I showed you that what I'm saying is true. You can believe it because you've experienced it. You've encountered it. You know for our concern for you in the way we lived when we were with you. God knows it's not enough just to hear words. We have to experience the reality of it. We have to experience religion is a faith without any experience. It's not living. It's not alive. And this is the living gospel. This is the life in Christ. God knows in order for something to be real, we have to be able to experience it. And may it be the reason why the world doesn't take the church seriously is because many are spouting words with no experiences or actions to back them up. There's no follow-through. There's no demonstration. Paul to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he says the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's living by God's power. There's a power that comes through the agent of the Holy Spirit to live the abundant life, to access the blessings of God. When I had an encounter with the Spirit of God, there's something shifted in me. Not only did I hate even more the sin that I had wrestled with and was even more determined to overcome the struggles that I had, but I had a hunger for righteousness like it never before, a hunger for the things of God like never before. It began to reorient the very desires in my life um, for the gifts of the Spirit, a hunger to tell people, to help people experience the very thing that I just experienced through this encounter with the Holy Spirit to show the world the love of God and what the Spirit of God can do to anyone who believes. It did something in me. And I began to pursue to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, learning of the gifts of healing, prophetic gifts, and fumbled through that. And I'm still fumbling through it. I don't know it all. I'm still learning. I'm still pursuing the presence of God. But it radically changed my approach to outreach and evangelism and sharing the gospel. It totally changed my approach. It changed from trying to speak rational truth to the mind of the person I was arguing against to speaking to their heart with a word from the Lord. From being more interested in winning a debate 
than helping their heart encounter the love and goodness of God. It changed. I wanted God to touch them the way he touched me. I began seeking prophetic words to speak life and hope into others, to pray for healing, to watch God touch them the only way that he can do it. And began in, in this pursuit, I began to lead more people to Christ in the last four years of my life than I ever did the first 34. The difference maker, Holy Spirit. The difference maker, the presence of God. I could go on and on and tell stories and things that my wife and I have encountered. One I will forever remember, and I'll probably continue to tell until the day I die, is the night we went out to dinner. We had date night. We try to do date night on Friday nights because uh, we feel like that's really important to maintain a relationship. It doesn't always happen, but we try to do that. And we went to Applebee's and Birch Run. And, uh, you know, we before we went in there, we just prayed, God, if there's anyone here you want us to minister to, you know, let, you know, highlight them, let us know. And, and nothing really transpired there. I think my wife got to pray with the door lady before we left. But we left and we went to Dunkin' Donuts. And we walk into Dunkin' Donuts and there's a barista there. And as I'm walking up, there, God just gave me a prophetic word of her favorite color. And I'm not going to go into all the detail because I humiliated, my, humiliated myself by asking questions. And, you know, it was kind of awkward. My wife had to coach me on how to have a conversation. But God just laid this on my heart, and I shared this word about a favorite color, which led into other things. And before the conversation was over, before we even had our coffee, we were holding hands over the counter, and she was accepting Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She was bawling. And I will forever remember that, because nothing like that had ever happened until I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I don't care how many arguments, how many debates, how many times I even thought I won. Never until the presence of God led this thing where people's lives truly changed and people more likely to give their lives to Jesus. You see, you can't guarantee everyone you pray for will be healed. You can't even guarantee every impression or word you believe you receive from God will manifest or come true. But you can always guarantee people feel loved by God. And that is the heart behind everything the Spirit of God does. It says God sent us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love so out of our hearts, His love can overflow. And that's the power behind the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this encounter with God's Spirit, it has truly changed my life forever. And it was an experience I didn't even know I was missing until God led me through some different circumstances in my life. There were just some disciples that Paul the Apostle, some 20 years after the day of Pentecost, found in Acts chapter 19, verse 2. They'd already believed, they'd already started following Jesus, but they were missing something in their life. In Acts 19, verse 2, Paul asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So they believed in Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah. They started following him. They were going to the Bible study. They were attending worship. But when Paul had this conversation, they had never encountered the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And it says, When Paul laid his hands on them, in, in verse 6, he says, Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in other tongues, and they prophesied. In that moment, the Apostle Paul just put his hands on them, maybe shoulder, maybe on their head, and just prayed, God, send them the Holy Spirit. And they received, and they were filled with the power of God. They began to manifest in the gifts of the Spirit. The love of God welled up in their heart, and it overflowed into their lives. 
the Spirit fell on these believers who didn't even know they were missing something. John chapter 4, Jesus tells us a famous story of a woman, the woman at the well, and there's so many examples here, we're not going to read the whole account. But what I want to show you in this just little conversation is what happens when you have an encounter with Jesus, when you have an encounter with the presence of God. It transforms the trajectory of your life. See, number one, Jesus, it says in the text, he was led by the Spirit to this specific place. Many of us, when it comes to you know, reaching out, we don't ask God, God, where do you want me to go today? Who do you want me to talk to today? We just kind of go through life and we hope something happens. Jesus was intentional. The Spirit led him to a specific place at a specific time to talk to a specific person. And during the encounter, he doesn't just tell her the truth. He doesn't just start going into theology and correcting all the things she didn't believe that was right and rebuking her for her sin. He starts speaking to her heart. And through a word of knowledge, a prophetic word, he tells her about herself and not in a condemning way, but to show her she was not only known, but madly loved by God. In this reality of Jesus, the Messiah being before her, having an encounter with the very living God himself turns this outcast into a bold witness. And in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 28, it says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came screaming from the village to see him. This woman had an encounter with the Lord in such a way that it transformed her life in a moment. Because of what Jesus did in her, she was able to reach those around her. And what did she do? What did she testify about? The very first evangelist in the entire New Testament is this woman. And what did she do? She said, come and experience the very thing I just witnessed. Come and see what I've seen. Come and experience what I've experienced. There's a guy whose name is Jesus, and I think he's pretty special. Come and see for yourself. And this is what the Spirit of God does in us. He works in us, reorients our life, fills us with his love and his power, so that when we reach out and we say, there's a guy named Jesus, it's not just words, but we can say, come and experience the power and the presence of Almighty God. Like me, my story, many of us are afraid, maybe even a little ashamed to have conversations about the Lord. We lack the boldness to be a true witness, and I believe we lack the boldness because we're not walking into the filling of the Spirit. We've either not had an encounter, or maybe it's been a while since we felt close to the Lord, and so there's part of us that have been drained of His presence in our lives. There are people that you rub shoulders with every day that are longing for the hope that you have that is in you, and God wants to use you to bring that hope to them. Maybe we're afraid because we really haven't received, and so since we haven't received, we have nothing to give. But in Acts chapter 4, again, we go back and end where we started. These early believers, they'd already experienced the Lord, they'd already encountered the Lord, the day of Pentecost had been poured out, they'd already been filled with the Spirit, but now they find themselves in a place where they're terrified, they don't know what to do. They're not bold, they're not courageous, they're hiding together. 
They'd already had an encounter with God, but now it seemed like all the steam was let out of their sails. But here's what happened after they prayed in Acts 4.29 through 31. Again, it says, Oh, now, Lord, hear their threats. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out with your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says, And after this prayer, the meeting place shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. The first thing, again, they didn't preach. God changed the king. God changed the religious leaders. God changed the culture. No, they prayed, God, change me. Change me. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of being scared. I'm tired of just going about my day, not not being conscious of who you are or what you desire for my life. God, change my heart. And out of that surrendered heart, out of that heart that says, God, I don't care what happens to me anymore, to you, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that the greatest prize is heaven, the greatest name is Jesus. I don't care anymore. God, give me great boldness. Fill me with your spirit. And the meeting place shook, and they were all filled again with the spirit of God. Give us your servants great boldness in preaching a word. Why? Because it's only in the gospel men can be saved. It's only through the presence and power of God that the kingdom can be demonstrated. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook. See, an encounter with God refocuses you on your purpose. They went up from that place and began to preach the word of God with boldness. They went from fear to fearless. From bashful to bold. What was the difference? The spirit of the living God. Be not drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we, beloved, need to get back to that place of full surrender that said, you died for me, I'm living for you. God, fill me with your spirit. I want everything that you have. I hold nothing back. Nothing's off the table. Fill me, God. Some of you, you've had an encounter. You've been filled, but you've wandered away. You need to be filled again. Some of you have never been filled with the Spirit of God, and God is offering you. Jesus said, God will give to all who ask. Ask me. Fill me with the Spirit. But ask out of a surrendered heart. We need to get to that place where we trust Him to be the Lord and ruler of our life. Some of us were bold at one time, but the cares of the world and circumstances have drained his presence out of our lives. And now we're playing it safe. And we wonder why we don't see any fruit. It's because we need to be filled with his presence. We need to become people of the presence of God. We need to get on our hands and knees and cry out and say, God, I'm not leaving from this place until you fill me with your presence. Because I don't want to leave here the same as the way I walked in. I want to be filled. Fill me again. I'm tired of trying to do things in my own strength. You see, God wants us to come together to be filled so that when we leave this place, we go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Acts 1-8, again, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Where? 
in Jerusalem. That's your backyard, y'all. You're going to be a witness in your backyard, in your families, at your place of work, at your grocery store, at your school. You will be his witness, and you'll be bold, and you'll be fearless. You're not going to care how awkward you sound or what others may think because you know the gospel is the power of God saving all who believe, and their only hope is Christ. When you leave that conversation, they may be rejecting you. They're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And when you stand before God, you're going to be partying. They're not. They're not rejecting you. For me to live is Christ. The gospel is the power of God. When you receive the Spirit, you'll be his witness in Jerusalem. That's your backyard. Then Judea, that's your surrounding area. It means once we've won our neighborhood, that's not enough. We're going for more. We're going to go out. We're going to go to greater places, and then into Samaria. These are places you don't want to go, uncomfortable places. Some of you, God has been calling you as a missionary to an overseas location, but you've been either fearful or stubborn to surrender to the call. Some of you, God wants to raise up to be an ambassador for Christ into areas of ministry that that are dark and, and seem scary, like in human trafficking and drug addiction and other places into abortion clinics and places that that the most believers would fear to tread but God's raising you up as a bold believer in Jesus Christ God wants to give you a vision for your neighborhood for your community for your state for your nation in Jerusalem Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth God's not satisfied until the whole world hears and neither should we and neither should we. Beloved, before we can go worldwide, though, we need to rise up in our own backyard. We need to rise up in our families. We need to rise up in our own personal lives. We need to get to that place of surrender and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. I'm not content until I have everything you planned for me. Lord, my life is a living sacrifice. I lay it down to you today. For me to live is Christ. The greatest treasure is heaven. The greatest name is Jesus. This is why I exist. This is why I live. And beloved, when we get to that place of surrender and the Spirit of God comes into our lives and anoints us for the ministry God is calling us to, it is a game changer. And some of you here today need to be filled. You need to give your life to Jesus. Some need to be filled again. Others, you need a touch from the Lord. There's healing you need in your body. Some of you are discouraged and you need a word from the Lord. In a few moments, we're going to go into a time of response and we're going to invite you to come and respond to the Lord. If you want more of God in your life, then you come down, we'll lay hands on you, and we'll pray that you receive filling of the Spirit. But don't let this opportunity pass you by. Because there are people in your life who need Jesus. And it's His presence in your life that will draw them to Himself. Let's stop trying to do things in our own power and our own strength. Let's begin to walk by faith.
close our eyes and bow our heads as we go into a time of prayer, turning this over to the Lord God. I just thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for your vision for this community. I thank you, Lord, that you're not content until everyone hears and everyone has an opportunity to be saved. Lord, I thank you for what you're about to do in the lives of some folks today that are going to get to a place of surrender and say, God, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm ready to be bold. I'm ready to take a stand for you. I'm ready to live for the kingdom. And they're going to come and they're going to receive a touch from the Lord. God, I pray for the one here that's never received you as their personal Savior. They've never made that decision to truly trust you with their life. God, I thank you that right now in this place, Lord, as you're speaking to their life, they're going to whisper a prayer and to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. And I pray, God, as soon as they pray that, you would touch them, you would fill them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet with the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, that you would reorient and wreck their life and build them up in who they are in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, come, do your work. Come, fill this place. Pour out your fire. Pour out your presence. Pour it out, Lord God. Don't let us stay the same. Shake this place like you did with the disciples in Acts 4. God, there's so many things to be afraid of, so many things that have make us nervous in the world, so many uncertain things in our news and in our culture and in our country. God, we're tired of being afraid. We're tired of anxiety ruling our lives. We're ready for a bold stance. God, fill us with your spirit. Raise us up in boldness. Give us your servants power to preach in boldness, being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fill us. Fill us afresh. Fill us anew. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stay in an attitude of prayer as we stand to our feet. If you want more of the Lord in your life, you come right now, and we'll pray. We'll lay hands on you. Our prayer team will be down front. If you need healing, you come. Whatever's on your heart, you come. In Jesus' name, as we go into worship. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. 